And welcome to the Pigskin Pulpit, the premiere episode for this podcast. I'm your host, the Sideline Statsman. And if you don't know me already, I have an Instagram page and a Twitter page and another podcast, which I will have to postpone for a while until I get the brand back and up and running. Unfortunately, we hit some hard times here and we've been struggling to work as a one-man team. So as a result, we've decided that we are going to go in a different direction. Instead of covering the NFL, the NBA, and baseball altogether, we're going to focus more on football, which is what our team knows best. And when things get better for us, when things start going up again, and we recover from our quote-unquote burnout, we will begin to expand again. And will make things even more inclusive. But for now, this is strictly going to be a football brand. We'll be covering college football, the NFL, whatever you name. Anything that has to do with the football world. Anything that has to do with that. But if there is breaking news that can be life-changing for the sports world, I will report it. Even if it's not football. But until then, this is strictly NFL. Now, if you guys are here for my other podcast, The Sideline Report, welcome, and I hope you enjoy. I promise you you're going to get the best content available, and we'll be up and running again on social media within the next few weeks. Actually, no, within the next week. We'll have it up in the next week. Promise you. Okay. Now, today's topics, we're going to talk about the Antonio Brown controversy with this helmet, and I'm going to give you guys take my takeaways from week one of the NFL preseason, which did have a lot of interesting points. I'm going to go with my number one takeaway from every game that was played. And if you guys disagree, don't be afraid to leave a comment or head on to social media. I will be posting a couple clips too here and there. So you can tell me if you don't agree with me, you can start a debate with me. I'm open to all of it. I can't wait to hear what you guys are thinking. So without further ado, let's start off with the man himself, Antonio Brown. Now, Antonio Brown is a unique player. Not only on the field, but off the field. He has what people call a diva attitude, which to some extent you can consider diva. But for the most part, he cares a lot about his team and improving his gameplay. And I like the way he plays. I have no problems with it. He has a habit of pushing it too far. Now, a lot of people went crazy hearing that Antonio Brown is having a problem with this helmet because he doesn't want to play football if he doesn't have his helmet. Now, just to clarify, he later on took back that statement and said that the helmet was not, he wasn't going to quit football over a helmet. He said that's a little rough, but he would like to wear his own style helmet he's been wearing for the last 10 years. Now, unfortunately, his helmet no longer lives up to the new safety standards under the NFL guidelines for protecting the head and neck area. So Antonio Brown has to wear a new styled helmet that the league can support and it's approved. So Antonio Brown tried to appeal it and say, hey, I want to wear my own helmet. Don't tell me what to do. 
and the judge ruled in favor of the NFL. So Antonio Brown will have to wear a different helmet. He cannot wear his own. Now, if you ask me what I think on this topic, oh, I support him. 100%. Now, I will tell you, at first, I did not. And now the reason why at first is because automatically you're thinking, what? It's just a helmet. It's not a big deal. When I started reading up and you start looking up more information on it, I read an article on Deadspin from someone who was playing in the NFL for seven years. And he talked about the differences in the helmets. And it shocked me. And I understood Antonio Brown's points. So, just so you all know, every NFL helmet comes with a warning label that states it cannot prevent serious head or neck injuries. So, the funny part about this is you're going to all these extents to improve the padding in the helmet. It's not the helmet itself, it's the padding. So it can absorb the trauma and the um, rush better and, and the uh, force from tackles or head on, head-to-head collisions, everything. It's supposed to limit the amount of trauma, but it doesn't prevent it. So the question is, if it can't prevent it, why try fixing it? See, this is where it gets controversial because you're like, oh, this, this, it's going to limit injuries. It's going to do all these things. I'm trying to explain that although it can limit these things, no statistic has proven that it, that it has successfully done that. In fact, concussions are still up. They're on the rise still. Even with the safety rules they're putting into place, they're still getting the hits in and they're still taking the trauma and the concussions. It could be simply from falling and landing on your head and you get a concussion. Nobody understands that concept. Now, I'm not denying the fact that CTE is a thing. I'm not a conspiracy theorist that's going to tell you, oh, it was a plan by the NFL, it was a plan by the government to get more money out of us. No. I promise you, that is not the case here. There is... No piece of equipment, according to any all the studies I've read, that can stop the brain from experiencing trauma on those collisions. So if there's nothing to stop it, why are we? Why do we keep fighting it? There is nothing we can do. These men are sacrificing their bodies to earn a paycheck and to do something they love. They love the game of football. And I can respect a man who puts his body on the line for something he loves so much. That is something I can get behind. Now, another reason why I think Antonio Brown could not wear this helmet and would not wear the new standard helmet, even the newest one that they're recommending that is the considered the most safe helmet you could wear in the NFL, has the warning label as well. So, the difference with this new helmet that they've approved is that it's making it more difficult to track the ball down and be aware of oncoming defenders that are about to light up your day. So, simply put, the new helmet affects the peripheral where you cannot where you cannot see wide around you. You can't see around you. Usually when you're working with a helmet, you can be able to see around you. You can get easy processing. No problems. You can see everything. There's no need to be afraid that someone's going to come behind and hit you and knock you out out of nowhere. That's only if it's outside your peripheral vision. But what this did is with this new helmet, it's kind of affected that. It's harder to track the ball down. So you now have to turn your head more, and if you're not going to be able to see that defender, he can stab your neck easy and knock your head off, even if there is a penalty against it. 
So it actually could cause more injuries on top of that. Now, I know it's a new helmet. This is AB we're talking about. But at the same time, he's one of the most electric wide receivers I have seen in the last five years. He knows how to turn a game around within seconds. And I'm very impressed by him and his and his style of play. Now, another thing I can also mention is that there's just no point in proving helmets if you can't limit the impact of the collisions. If you can't limit the effect of the brain crashing into the skull and damaging itself and suffering trauma, then why do we keep fighting it? There's no point. I know I keep reiterating this, but I'm trying to make this point clear. We can't do anything to eliminate it. We've tried our best to limit it, and the more suggest improvements we find, the more injuries you can possess. Sure, maybe it'll help your brain a little bit, but you're going to get more physical injuries to yourself by this helmet that they're now pushing onto players to wear. It's not fair to the players. The players should have a choice in what they decide to wear on the field, as long as it meets safety standards. So, again, AB's helmet no longer matches safety standards. So, from the NFL standpoint and the, and the legal standpoint, I understand. And at that point, I know Antonio Brown's wrong. But on that same standpoint, he should have that choice to choose whatever he wants to wear on that field. As long as it's going to protect his body. As long as it's going to do something that'll keep him from suffering injuries that can come back and bite on the Steelers. Well, not the Steelers. My apologies. I'm used to him being on the Steelers. He that can come back and bite the Raiders organization or the NFL. So, in this case, Antonio Brown, I got your back, man. I got your back. You keep fighting this, I got your back. 100%. So, this helmet controversy is set and done. Set in stone, we're finished. He's going to be back in training camp soon, recovering from his frostbitten feet. And we'll, he'll be good as new. I can't wait to see what he does with this Raider team. Him and Derek Carr are going to be an amazing tandem together. Now comes the fun part. Week one of the preseason ha- is usually rough. It's a rough look at what you can see. It's like a rough draft of a roster of what a team's going to look like for the year. It's not finely tuned yet. It's not perfect. You don't know what the final stuff is going to be. The final draft you can see is when they finish off, was when they play their first game of the regular season. But the preseason's always a good look on. Now, usually people say the preseason doesn't matter. It's the number one thing I hear. But the preseason does matter. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Because it's important for teams to look over what's going to happen in their depth charts. Who's going to make the roster? Who's not? Sure, the starting guys are safe. But that doesn't guarantee the fact that those guys behind you aren't. Are going to be safe as well. Those guys are fighting to keep a paycheck and stay on the team. They're going to fight like maniacs to stay on this team. Heck, I'm seeing third string receivers running out there and grabbing passes like they're nothing. And they're fighting every way they can to make the roster. They're trying to limit their mistakes, and this is the chance. Same thing goes for quarterbacks on precision passing, handling themselves in the pocket, reading the field. It's everything. So, without further ado, let's get into week one of the preseason. Let's begin with the Browns and the Redskins. 
Now, the game itself was interesting because I was more obsessed with the fact of the Redskins rather than the Browns. So, I noticed a lot of great pauses with the Browns. Things were going great. Everything was clicking. Nick Chubb looks like he's going to be the big star on that offense, even without Kareem Hunt there for the first couple games. And the only negative I saw was Greedy Williams doesn't look ready. He doesn't look prepared to step into that starting role, so he may have to start out the season on the bench. But who knows? It's the first preseason game. We don't know what's going to happen. Things can change very quickly. But the main story is the Redskins. Now, the Redskins lost the game by ten by 20 points. The reason why? Now, I'm not saying this is the main reason why. But I do want to include this as a point. Dwayne Haskins. My number one takeaway from the Browns-Redskins game is the fact that Haskins was struggling against that pass rush. Even if it was a second team defense coming at him, he couldn't avoid what was going on. The Redskins offensive line couldn't give him any time to get anything done. Hence why they got a safety in the end zone at one point. Because Haskins couldn't hold on to the ball long enough. They came at him, they bull rushed him, they knocked the ball out, they recovered in the end zone for a touchdown. They gave him a safety. They went insane on that Redskins offensive line, and Haskins had no time to throw. So I understand that he's struggling with that. But the thing is, he wasn't moving. You need the quarterback to move around too, or try to move. At least get try to advance the ball as much as possible, even if it's for getting less of negative yards. You need to move around. Haskins is too used to that protection from the Ohio State O-line. Correction. The Ohio State University offensive line. Now, if you got the joke, it's because they're trying to trademark it. They're trying to trademark the word the, as in the Ohio State University. So it came from Ohio State University. It's 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 a whole thing. I think it's hysterical. But other things I noticed with Haskins that he's holding on to the football too long. And he also needs to re- read that defense when secondary is playing conservative man coverage. Now, if you don't know what conservative man coverage is, here's how I explain it in the best way possible. When you're playing aggressive man coverage, you're playing more to the player than the ball. So you're going to try to stay on your man, make sure he don't get that ball. You're not going to focus on the ball as much. You're going to make sure that receiver does not lay a finger on the football. Conservative man coverage is following your man... But at the same time, you're fighting for that ball rather than the receiver himself. So if the ball comes up front and you're a little bit off off on the the, uh, receiver, you're going to run up and you're going to steal that ball. You're not going to worry about tackling him. You're going to go take that ball. And that is conservative. Because if you were aggressive, you were going to go straight for the tackle rather than the ball. So in terms, yes, it can be aggressive, mainly when you're talking about going after the ball itself. But in my terms, it's concerted because you're not going after the player. You're going after the ball. So he needs to be read that defense better because the Browns secondary took advantage of that and got a couple picks off him as a result. He was trying to toss it down the field, and they, were, they weren't watching the man as much. They were watching the ball, and the defensive backs came up, stole one, stole the couple. So as a result, Haskins has got to focus better on that, and he excels in play action. So that's a good thing. He's good on short passes in the play action. So that's a good thing. I'm very happy about that. But otherwise, he I don't think he's ready to start yet. But again, this is this is the first week. We'll see later on. Next game, 
New England Patriots versus the Detroit Lions. Oh, that was a fun game to watch. Even though the Lions only got three points the entire game, I was impressed with the Patriots all around. I mean, their defense is getting a lot better. Their offensive line is so solid, no matter how much it's deteriorating over due to the fatigue that they're facing. I mean, it's it's incredible. Detroit's offensive line is very strong as well, and I love Chase Winovich, who they got out of Michigan. His work in the Blitz packages is giving the Patriots new life, and Bill Belichick's going to toy around with him a little bit. He's definitely getting a roster spot, and he could be starting early on in the season. He's got quick hands, and he's able to drive linemen back to get to the quarterback. Now, I watched him get two, three sacks off of the Lions quarterback. Now, again, third team, second, third team, but at the same time, Winovich was amazing performance. If he can do that against a first team, then he needs to start. But for now, we'll see. The biggest takeaway from that game was, surprisingly, Jarrett Stidham. Now, why do I think Stidham was the takeaway. He dominated the field. He went insane. He was proving early that he's going to be the steal of the draft. Why? Watching him stand in that pocket for two seconds and then the ball's out of his hands in the hands of a receiver for a first down, he got him quick. He was popping the ball out quick and he was getting to his receivers on time. It was accurate, on point. He was getting what he needed done. He was getting the job done. In fact, his quick release combined with the excellent awareness of audibles and shifts in the defense. Because they were shifting a lot when he was on that field. It reminded me of Tom Brady. Why? Why? Because you watch Tom Brady on that field. Sure, he doesn't have the speed he did when he was younger. He never did. He never had speed. But he always had a high football IQ. So he was easy to read the defenses and make adjustments according to. So, watching Stidham do that, what Brady does against that second team defense made me, impressed me. It impressed me very much. I thought Stidham handled himself well. He was throwing to receivers who never really got a shot. And they were pulling in passes like they were nothing. It was impressive, and I think he's going to be the future of this franchise. We know it ain't at length because the Patriots released him. But Stidham really shined out. He was the star of the Patriots game. He's like the game MVP for the preseason. Now, moving on to the Chargers versus the Cardinals. Now, this game, there wasn't much to take away. I mean, for the Chargers, the only thing I could see is that they were relying on screens and play action to gain yardage which was successful against that young Cardinals defense. And that was mainly because Rivers didn't get the start. It was Tyrod Taylor, who's more of a dual-threat quarterback. But under that same note, you know my takeaway is going to be Kyler Murray. You know it's going to be. Because that's the one thing you guys care about. Is Kyler Murray living up to that hype of being the first overall pick? Let me tell you right now. He is. He is proving to be a future star at his position. I mean, reading the coverage, and he's aware of that pressure provided by that D-line. He's got great control with that football when he's throwing the deep ball. I mean, his accuracy off anticipation is stellar. It's all—it's everything you want in a young quarterback 
who's got a bright future ahead of him. This kid, at first I had my doubts, but after watching what he was doing against that Chargers first team defense, I have nothing else to say. This kid is going to be a franchise quarterback. And if he's not, I'm blaming the coaching staff because that kid is incredible. I mean, he's showing he's got leadership potential. I'm seeing him control drives very well. He only missed one pass on his drive. They didn't score, but he he missed one pass on the drive. He went five for six. It was great to watch. He has great emotional control. So when he misses a pass, he doesn't beat himself up. When he makes a mistake, he doesn't beat himself up. If he sees stuff collapsing, he's there. He's controlling himself the entire time. You don't see emotions run high. And he's proving to be a difference maker, not just with these arm, but with his feet. He's undersized. He reminds me of Drew Brees if he was a dual-threat quarterback. He's like the dual-threat version of Drew Brees. Drew Brees could move. Don't get me wrong. But this kid is fast. He's, pr- he's really fast for quarterback. And as a result, he's going to be hard to stop. So that's my takeaway from the Cardinals-Chargers game. Murray's is proven to be that star. He's going to be the franchise player so far, from what I'm seeing. Next one, the Jets versus the Giants. That game was very... I actually watched that game in its entirety. And I can tell you right now, I have a couple things to say here. I'm not going to go with the main point alone. The Jets' offense was performing well with Darnold, completing passes downfield, even when the pocket was collapsed and he had to and he had to unload it. Darnold was is good with pocket pressure. He's able to avoid the pressure and get out of tough situations to get the ball downfield to the receiver he's trying to find, and throws it away too rather than take the sack. He's smart. I like it, and he's mobile, he's athletic. He's not a crazy athlete, but he has enough of an athletic ability to do things that some quarterbacks can't. Now, I also noticed that adding Jamison Crowder to the Jets' offense has added, has made another dimension to the Jets' air attack. The Jets' air attack now has another dimension to it, and it's making the team more of a vertical threat than it was before. And it's actually impressing me, because usually the Jets don't impress me. But watching the way they're throwing the ball is making me very happy, because I had not seen the Jets have this prolific of passing since Mark Sanchez was still the quarterback, the starting quarterback, and Rex Ryan was coaching. That was the last time I saw the Jets passing game at a good level. I mean, think about this. Back when Lavernius Coles was still in the NFL, when you still had uh, Thomas Jones at running back, when you still had, when you had Plexico Burris as a Jet, that's when they were really good. And Santonio Holmes was not on his way out of the league when he was in his prime. That was when the Jets' offense was great, the passing game was great. Now it's looking even better. Especially with Crowder. It looks very good. Now, the Giants also have the offensive line. So I'm going to go switch over to the Giants here. Their offensive line looks amazing. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that it's the best I've I've seen in the last eight years from them. Since they won Super Bowl forty six, I have not seen a strong Giants offensive line. Now, I've seen it. And I like it. If They're going to give Manning plenty of time. And if Manning loses the job, Jones... He's going to get plenty of time. He's got nothing to worry about. He's going to get that ball out quick. I'm impressed. I like what they're doing now. 
They're fixing up the team slowly. Slowly, but they're fixing the team. Now, the biggest takeaway of this game was Daniel Jones himself. He was on the field for one drive. Okay, so I know I've been getting attacks by Jet fans for this, but it was one drive. But that drive was immaculate. He was perfect on passing. It was accurate on every throw, put in place where defenders couldn't touch it. And his quick release is landing the Giants' consistent first downs. Something Manning couldn't do. He got all three passes great when he was on there for his first drive. But afterwards, he couldn't get the first down. He got three passes great. He was perfect. But he had no first down. Come on. Come on. Jones is the real deal. Right now, he looks like the real deal. I'm not against him in any way. At first, I was like, sixth overall? Really? But now, after seeing that, he's looking more like a sixth pick to me. He's doing very well. I could see, I see him starting over Eli by next season. I really do. Now, I've been hearing criticism because the Jets were using their second and third team defense. And I rewatched the tapes over for that drive. And I looked at every player on that field. A third of them were on the first team, including Avery Williamson and Brandon Copeland. The secondary was all second team, but included Falcons veteran Brian Poole, who is no joke at in the corner position. Yet he let a lot of good plays go against Daniel Jones. He let a few plays go. And that was a mistake. I mean, Daniel Jones has a lot of potential here for the future. Uh, that's all I'm saying. The next game I want to talk about is the Panthers versus the Bears. There are so many points I could go off here with the Panthers and the Bears. I mean, Brian Burns had a great rookie debut. He brought incredible pressure off the edge coming in blitz packages. And I noticed he performs well in the zone coverage. And he was coming in fast and hot, and he was sacking Chase Daniel every time. I mean, I think he will complete that linebacker core and create a new lethal defense Carolina. He's going to fill that role that Thomas Voigt Davis had. Thomas Davis had a big role on that team. When he got released, there, wasn't much, there was a void. There was a leadership void. Now Brian Burns is in, and I could see him being a leader. The Florida State product is going to be amazing. He's going to be something. He's going to be big. Watch. I also want to talk about with the Panthers, Elijah Holyfield, the son of of legendary boxer Evander Holyfield. I was watching him bounce off defenders, and he was finding ways to extend drives on the ground that I don't really see much in the NFL. I mean, name a running back who can bounce off players, hurdle them, stop in the middle of his tracks with a stutter step, cut back, and go for 30 yards down the field. There aren't many. And the only ones you could probably name on the top of your heads are the main two, which is Saquon Barkley and Ezekiel Elliott. They could do it. Can James Conner do it? I don't know. He might. Can Nick Chubb do it? No. Can Aaron Jones do it? No. Can Peyton Barber do it? No. Dalvin Cook? No. Leonard Fournette? No. How about James White? Can he do it? No. Kenyon Drake? No. LaShawn McCoy used to be able to do that, but he's at that age now. I don't think he can do that. Shady McCoy? 
ain't so shady anymore. Elijah Holyfield can be hard to take down in a dual run attack with Christian McCaffrey. If you can run McCaffrey out of the backfield on on passing plays and you use Holyfield in the run game for, for the ground and pound, my goodness, you are in for a show. If he continues to display the strength against defenders, I, we're going to see the beginning of a new running back tandem. Speaking of running backs, let me get to the Bears here. Because I know I'm skipping over the Bears. Look, the Bears are incredible. They had a great run last year, and I think they're going to have another great run this year. In fact, I think they'll win the division this year. But, I want to talk about David Montgomery for a second. That was one of the greatest draft moves I've seen in the last few years. The Bears pulled off a stunner by getting that running back. Because they already have Tariq Cohen, but so what's the point? I mean, you lost Jordan Howard to Philly, but Tariq Cohen can handle it by himself. I'm sure he could. But just to be careful, they took David Montgomery. He is already working to become the feature back in Chicago. And this game proved his necessity to the Bears. I saw a strong stutter step with good ball control, and he's also elusive in the passing and running game. He's shifty. He's quick. He's got... Oh my goodness. Where can I keep going with him? He can... find When he finds the gap, it's over. He's getting the first down. He's going to get more. Maybe even the touchdown. That is a running back you cannot let go of. David Montgomery and Tariq Cohen together... Another great duo. That would be great to watch. I want to see Montgomery's performance against the first team offense first. I mean, the first team defense. But otherwise, David Montgomery is going to be the next one. He's going to be the next one up in Chicago. He will be. With Tariq Cohen, the two of them will be unstoppable. And that's it for the Panthers and Bears. So, next game. The Houston Texans versus the Green Bay Packers. There weren't many takeaways from this one either, but I had two for this. One for the Packers and one for the Texans. I'll start with the Texans here. It's a negative point, and I hate to do this, but I'm very weary of the quarterback position here for them because we saw Joe Webb go somewhere where I didn't think he could go. He went to a point where he was throwing picks to not only the second team, but the third team. That cannot happen. If Deshaun Watson were to get hurt, and let's pray he does not, because I would never pray for a player to get hurt. What are the Texans going to do? You're going to put in Joe Webb. Okay. Are you going to put in a guy who gave up three interceptions to second and 13 players on a defense for the Packers? No. No. I, I, I would literally resign. I would resign. If I had to put Joe Webb in. I would literally ask Vince Young. To come out of retirement. To be the backup quarterback. Before I put Joe Webb in. Not happening. Joe Webb. Cannot prevent turnovers. He can't. He needs to. But he can't. He's holding. He's also holding on to the ball too long and is hesitating on his tosses. He's second-guessing himself. He's looking at one receiver down. He's like, he's, he's reeling the ball back. He's going for, he, then he does a pump fake to that receiver. Then he looks down the other side and then throws it to him with a little hesitation. 
And I see it. It's a little bit. He starts pulling the ball back when he throws the ball. And that's why he's throwing picks because he's, ha- he's hesitating. And you can't have a quarterback that's not confident. That's a lack of confidence there. And if that's the case, he needs to go. Or if you want me to be nice about it, he needs to short that out or get out. So sort it out or get out. The Texans are screwed right now in that quarterback position if Watson is can't gets hurt. It's over. I'm sure they're missing Tom Savage now. As for the Packers, let's go into a positive here. Let's kind of shift the tone. Their offensive front is giving the quarterback enough time to complete throws. Now, I know Rodgers didn't start, and he's not going to start for the week two either. But watching the offensive line give Deshaun Kaiser, you know, the disgruntled Browns QB that led the team to an 0-16 record two years ago. When When I'm watching him throw like he's a starting quarterback, a worthy starting quarterback, that's when I know your team is good. That's when I know your offensive line's good. I did not see the defenders even touch him. Granted, I didn't see Clowney on the field. There was no J.J. Watt. There was no really serious all-stars on the front. But on that same note, there were first-team players on that offense, on that defense, for the Texans, outside of the superstars, the two, three superstars. That line was not as de- was depleted of those two, but otherwise... He was tearing up the secondary. I mean, Deshaun Kaiser's tearing up a Houston Texan secondary. I, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. So the Packers managed to silence the pressure and give Deshaun Kaiser enough time to complete throws. Imagine what will happen when Rodgers gets into the pocket and gets into the huddle. The Packers got a chance here. Their offense has a chance. Equinemius St. Brown, Randall Cobb, not Randall Cobb, Devontae Adams, uh, Aaron Jones. I mean, come on. You have the offensive weapons there. All you need is just the offensive line to stay strong, and you got it. And right now, it looks like they got it. Let's get on to the next one here. Broncos versus Seahawks. This game, uh, this was a fun one to watch for me. Watching this game was was more anxiety than I thought it was going to be. Because watching Drew Locke stand under center for the Broncos, I knew that Fangio was right. He should not even be touching a football right now. He indicated early on that Flacco should be, is going to be starting over Locke. And I agree with him. So despite him having an improved performance in the Hall of Fame game, we're not going to talk about that. That's something that I want to throw back in the trash. Flacco was showing poison control in the pocket despite a constant rush from the aggressive Seahawk front. Flacco showed the poison control. He had the veteran experience. He knows how to handle it. Yes, he's 34-35 now, but on that same note, Flacco is developing, is going to have to develop this kid. So this kid's not ready. He's got the talent there. The talent is there. But he needs to develop and calm his nerves. He needs, the number one thing he needs to work on is completing those drives and gaining those first downs instead of focusing on getting large chunks of yardage. Because that's what kills a team and kills a drive. 
I want to finish off with the Seahawks here. I want to talk about the Seahawks. The Seahawks secondary impressed me. Because the depth at that, at that area is not bad. In fact, I think they might make a turnaround this year. This game was a testament to that theory. I mean, come on. There was strong performance by the starters and the backups in shutting down that offense. And the Broncos have some weapons on there. I mean, come on. They have some strong receivers. And the running game is... Mucho fuego. It's so good. Their running game is very good. Philip Lindsay, Royce Freeman, Devontae Booker. It's a great running back crew. So that's hard to stop. But the Seahawks managed to stop it. And they were able to silence the ball through the air. And they pulled it off. I, I want to talk about Paxton Lynch too. But there's not. it's not really worth talking about. All I'm going to say is... He got revenge on the Broncos, and he deserves to be a backup right now. He deserves his spot to be on the Seahawks. And with continued time, he could turn into a starter like the Broncos had hoped he would be, but wasn't for them. Now, let's get to the Titans and Eagles. Marcus Mariota, early on I noticed, has a strong connection with Adam Humphreys, the slot receiver. That is make that is already making something that could become soon the next strong duo in the AFC. Almost every drive, I saw Mariota look over at Humphreys, and more than sixty percent of that time he threw to him, and Humphreys caught it majority of the time. Actually, no, he caught all the passes, I believe, on all the targets. Wait. No, he didn't. He missed a couple because Mariota was off on the pass as he was throwing him into triple coverage. Speaking of which, on top of that, there is a negative to this. It's great to have a strong connection with the receiver and a quarterback. It's great. But the important thing is, you have to make sure you focus on tossing that ball to someone based off the coverage, not the talent. Adam Harvey is the talented receiver, don't get me wrong. I love the kid back when he was in Tampa and he was catching passes and saving games for Tampa. But you need to toss to someone based off the coverage. It's number one thing they always tell you as a coach. Coaches always tell you as a quarterback that you need to toss to someone who's opened off the coverage. Whether you whether their talent is great, whether they don't have as much talent. You have to trust your players. It's what a real leader does for their team. If you rely on the same player over and over again, you're going to lose the trust of your team. And you're going to lose the support. Sure, that player is going to love you forever because you're giving him amazing Pro Bowl-worthy stats. But it's going to affect the team chemistry, and you don't want that. So you want to make sure that you spread out everything. And Mariota's got to make sure to do that. Got to make sure Taiwan Taylor gets some catches, and A.J. Brown does too. Now, let's shift over to the Eagles here. Something I noticed, which people forgot about this kid. He got drafted last year. Dallas Goddard, the tight end. If you don't know who that is, I'll give you a reminder right now. David Akers had announced their pick for the second round. He came up, he did a whole speech and announced that they were going to take a tight end by the name of Dallas in Dallas. Dallas Goddard. He had a strong game. He actually proved to be a starting caliber tight end with Zach Ertz. I mean, if he can find a way to continue having steady production like he did that game, 
we could see the next great tight end group in the NFL. I like the two of them working together here. And I like O.J. Howard and Cameron Braid on Tampa, but this could top that. I mean, come on. Dallas Goddard, Zach Ertz. There is no way that you're going to say that that can't be great. If you watch Goddard's tape over again from week one against the Titans, it's incredible. I'm very happy with it. Very happy. And I think the Eagles got another star on their hands. And also, kudos to Nate Sudfeld. I hope he has a speedy recovery and he gets back soon. Nobody wants to go through an injury like that. Next game, let's get to the Falcons and the Dolphins. Oh, I love this. Now, I have no comments on the Falcons here because the Falcons did great and there's nothing else to say. Their, I, their receiving core did great. Matt Schaub, as usual, solid backup. Everything went well. Everything clicked. I like the Falcons. Their defense is fine at the moment. Now, the Dolphins are my main focus here. And the main focus is the QB battle. Let's talk about that. Ryan Fitzpatrick performed very well. I, he was picking up where he left off when he was benched by the Buccaneers last season. At the age of 36, I saw the man scrambling and escaping pressure like a magician. And it was quick, too. And he was delivering dimes down the field to Devontae Parker. I mean, come on. That is something I like to see. I like seeing that happen. It's building chemistry early, and he's showing that he's ready to be the starter for real. Because he knew he wasn't going to get a shot in Tampa. So he's going to go to a place where he can. And the Dolphins need a good caliber starter. And Fitzpatrick has that, even if he is a journeyman. He's going to be great. Rosen, although, is not ready. And I'm going to say this, and I think you all know this. Josh Rosen is not ready. Here is why. He's showing a lot of inconsistency. I mean, one moment, he's releasing that ball quick and threading the needles to the hands of his receivers. I mean, the ball is perfectly timed. But at another moment, he'll make an ill-advised throw that ends up being disastrous for the team. In my opinion, he needs more time before he can start. He needs more time. I mean, Rosen, don't get me wrong, he did some good stuff in Arizona. But now, with the Dolphins, it's a different story. You got to work with the team. You got to prove you're the franchise guy. You're going to change stuff up. You're going to make a difference. Right now, I'm not seeing it. Maybe that'll change by the end of the preseason, but right now, I don't see it. He had a great statistic game. Don't get me wrong. Good statistics. He only missed five, four passes. Fine. He threw two picks. No. Got to limit turnovers. He had two incompletions, but two of those catches that were ruled incomplete were picks. So, needs to be fixed. Next game, Jaguars-Ravens. I mean, that was interesting to watch for me. Because I was more concerned about Lamar Jackson than anything else. And I had no right to be. Because apparently, his passing game is very, very improved. Very much improved. I mean, he's completing throws while keeping his spiral tight. His spiral wasn't as tight last year. I noticed it was a little loose. Ball would be a little shaky. This could be redemption year for him. With the Ravens. I would be very impressed if he could pull it off with Lamar Jackson. If Lamar Jackson can pull it off, I will be very happy for them. And I think the Ravens will have a better shot of actually making a wild card. Because we all know they're not winning the division. Jaguars defense though, it is rebounding. It's getting better. I mean, they're generating more turnovers off of complex blitz packages. Combined with man coverage. So they can take care of passes underneath and down the field. That is good thing. That's a very good thing. 
My issue with Jacksonville was always that defense because as great as they had, they had some nice veterans in there. They had some young guys that are making stellar plays and making Pro Bowls. It was about the whole overall team. Can they keep it up when they lose a few players? And after watching what they did against the Ravens, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with the Jaguars' defense. It needs, it definitely needs a little bit of improvement, but it's good. It's getting better. It needs to return to what it was in 2017 when they made it all the way, you know, to like, you know, almost made it to the promised land. But, you know, back when Bortles was quarterback. And you still had Alan Hearns and Alan Robinson on the team, but I, I don't want to go into that. That's, that's too heartbreaking for me. Um, The next game I want to go into is the Colts versus the Bills. I mean, here's the most important thing I got out of that game. Josh Allen is completing his passes finally. And it's not because his passing game improved. Because, I mean, it did. But it's more because he now has a receiving core that can hold onto his strong passes and make the offense much more dangerous. That's something we've been waiting for. That the Bills Mafia has been waiting for. I mean, that receiving core was the issue. They dropped a lot of his passes last year and could not hold on to them. He throws the ball hard. He's got one of the strongest arms in the NFL, if not the strongest. Maybe he's stronger than Patrick Mahomes. Maybe. But Josh Allen didn't have receivers that could hold him in. Now he's got Cole Beasley and he's got John Brown. That's two strong receivers right there. That, granted, they're not big big name receivers, but they're they have strong hands and they can pull in the passes easy. They're experienced. They know what they're doing. Raymond Foster, not so good. Zay Jones needs improvement. But overall, their receiving course is a lot better. And I'm going to tell you guys this now. I'm not going to talk about the Colts. We already know the Colts situation. Andrew Luck, hope he gets back soon. I hope he doesn't miss any regular season time. I really do. The Colts need him very badly. Because Jacoby Brissett is not a starting quarterback. Devin Singletary, out of FAU, did the same thing that David Montgomery did. He gave up a show. He was bouncing off defenders, pushing the pile. I mean, it's reminding me of a fullback-halfback hybrid. Like, he's got the great speed, he's got the acceleration with the strength to his advantage. I mean, Devin Singletary was pushed back. He met defenders, three defenders, and he bulldozed over them and got an extra three yards on a run. That was insane to me. He's could be the next starting running back up there in Buffalo. So now you got Devin Singletary, Frank Gore, and LaShawn McCoy all on the same team. That is a amazing running back group. And I hope that it stays that way. Because it is a great group. And I think that's going to excel. That's going to be their bright spot. Next, let's go into the Bucks versus the Steelers. The Buccaneers versus the Steelers here. There's so many things I want to say. But I'm going to keep it short. Winston was looking calm in the pocket, and he was completing passes quick and showing flashes of promise for a better season this year. That's something that Tampa fans have been waiting to see. They wanted to see Winston make that next step, and he's already showing flashes. He only missed one pass on the whole drive. He actually brought him all the way in the end zone for a touchdown on a screen pass to Chris Godwin going in for about 10 yards. And it, the rest was history. He That was it for him. Winston had a great drive, and if they can keep that up, Bucks will be in good 
in a good spot, and they may have a chance to make the playoffs. May have a chance. But not the Steelers has everything to say about it on this in this game. The Steelers receiving core looks very promising. I mean, think about it. Juju Smith-Schuster, Donnie Moncrief, they're looking to go off this season, and who's going to be right by their side? James Washington. With A.B. out of the picture and now in Oakland, it's safe to say that James Washington is going to get that last spot. He's aiming to become that difference maker on the Steelers' offense. And watching that game, he's ready. Oh, he is ready. He was hauling in passes over two defenders to get first downs and get massive chunks of yardage. It was one of the most entertaining things I've seen. He's a good receiver, and I think he's got a good chance to make that starting spot. All in all, I think the Bucks and Steelers are going to be fine this year. They'll be, they'll be okay. Vikings and the Saints is the next game. Really, all I can say is that the Saints' offensive line was preventing the Vikings from touching the quarterbacks. That's a good thing. So that was giving Teddy Bridgewater enough time to complete the play. I like that, too, that the, Steelers ha- that the Saints have both Drew Brees and Teddy Bridgewater on the roster who are both starting quarterbacks. One's going to be a Hall of Famer first ballot, without a doubt. The other one is a proven starter with the, from the Minnesota Vikings, who they played. And is looking to become a starter again after Drew Brees retires. Which could be at the end of this year. Maybe next year. We'll see. The Vikings are my main takeaway here. Because that secondary was locking down those receivers. I mean they were preventing plays deep. But the only mistake that I could have possibly noticed that. Is what, even though they were playing, preventing the deep plays. They were allowing shots closer to the line of scrimmage. That could become a problem. Because when you're dealing with teams that focus more on short passing and screens and play action that could be a problem because when you're running play action you can get them on a drag route underneath you can get them on posts um, going about 10-11 yards I mean that that's stuff you got to worry about there because the, because when it comes to those kind of teams it's hard to beat them and the Vikings need to step up on that that means the linebacker core has got to be prepared for that and the second year has got to prepare to make moves up front to prevent that from happening maybe focus more on some man coverage Maybe some zone coverage. Have a couple corners move up. Look more into the nickel packages. Whatever you got to do. The Vikings, take care of that. There's no problem. And, I, and they'll have a good year. Next game is the Rams versus the Raiders. Oh, I've been waiting to go over this one. The Raiders receiving court is as dangerous as advertised. Even without Antonio Brown, I was watching J.J. Nelson go off for some nice catches. I mean, I think the Raiders are going to have a nice year if Carr can capitalize on his new deep-thought opportunities. So these new big receivers, if he can make use out of them and take it to the next level, the Raiders will be nice and dandy. The Rams. The Rams. There's an issue. There's a major issue. It's in the secondary. Now, it's not the secondary itself. It's more of the depth. I mean, after the starters, the backups are suffering from poor tackling and playing the receivers rather than the ball. They're focused too much on receivers. They're too aggressive on the receivers. It's leading to pass interference calls, holdings, illegal contact. It's not good, and it it will be an issue if injury bug hits. If an injury bug hits, the Rams' defense is going to fall apart, and that's going to be the issue. Marcus Peters goes down, and Keep Tlaib goes down. What are you going to do? Who's going to be there to pick up the slack? Nobody. Your backups. Your backups are not ready. 
You got to get them ready. Soon. And quick. The Bengals versus the Chiefs. I mean, there's not much to say about the Chiefs here. Well, I take that back. Let's just say this flat out. The Bengals are going to finish with the worst record in the NFL this year. There, I said it. Let's move on. The Chiefs. Mahomes and that electric offense were picking up where they left off with precision passing and breakaway speed that is unrivaled. My goodness, it's just fun watching them. It's just fun. And the, and the big star in this one? Meet Cole Hardman, the Georgia wide receiver. He's aiming to land a starting spot with the Chiefs, and he's doing a hell of a job, man. I saw him burst out for a run off a screen to the outside, and he took it straight to the house. I only saw three seconds come off the clock, and he was on the 15-yard line on that screen. And the clock only went ticked down for three seconds. It was insane. I thought it was great. He's got Tyreek Hill speed. He reminds me of him, besides the off-the-field issues and the attitude. But Miko Hardman and Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins, it's over. Mahomes has the weapons he needs. This could be a Super Bowl team right here, just on the offense alone. And I will also mention, adding Tyron Matthew has helped that Chiefs defense a lot because it looks much improved. I mean, they were shutting down a... Given they were shutting down a lackluster passing game from the Bengals. I mean, think about it. Andy Dalton, Jeff Driscoll. Come on. Really? Oh, and that kid that they got in the fifth round, I think. Ryan Finley from North Carolina State. Yeah. He, um, they were generating game-changing turnovers. Uh, and it's in hand to the improved safety game. I'm, I'm very happy about that. Again, it's the Bengals. But the Chiefs did very well, the defense. So if they can keep that up the rest of the preseason, they're in a good spot. Cowboys versus 49ers. This is the last game on the list, This number 16. The 49ers have good development in the secondary so far. I've seen some strong improvements at the offensive line, really, because I saw them holding back the Cowboys offensive line. And yes, you heard that right the Cowboys' defensive line, from touching Nick Mullins because Garoppolo couldn't get the start because he's still recovering from that ACL injury. It's giving him enough time in the pocket and he's taking advantage of the young receivers that are eager to start. I mean, these guys are ready to play with Garoppolo at the helm. They are ready. But the question is, if Garoppolo's ready. I mean, he just came back. He started doing some warm-up throws and and doing some drills and he threw five interceptions in a row on five back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back plays. I mean, come on now. Let's think about that a second. Your receivers actually want to play with Garoppolo, and he's making mistakes like this. He's got to get in the groove. He gets in the groove, they're great. Finally, that Cowboys offense. I'm going to tell you the God's honest truth here. Uh, I'm not happy. Without involvement from Ezekiel Elliott on the ground... Prescott's going to need to rely on the receivers more to advance that ball instead of the backfield. Which is, wouldn't be a problem because it's Gallup and you're talking about Amari Cooper. you got some decent receivers there. But it will very soon. Because Prescott is not a great quarterback. He's not a $40 million contract worthy quarterback. But Dak Prescott is good enough. He's going to make mistakes. It's going to cost him a few games. But if Ezekiel Elliott holds out this season... There's a, they're, they're in for a rude awakening. 
I don't think the Cowboys can survive. You, I think that'll actually give the Eagles a chance to come in and take the division. Rather than the Cowboys do. And that'll be a shame. Because the Cowboys are... They're, they're a better team. They're a good team. I, it, would, it would be a shame to see them fall apart. So, all in all, I think week one was a great success. I think that there's a lot of things we learned about the rookie guys who are ready and who aren't. If you're asking me the biggest success story, my winner for preseason week one, who was the most successful story? Or should I say, my winner is Jarrett Stidham. Jarrett Stidham is the winner of preseason week one. He proved to New England fans that they may have another future right there in front of them for the next Tom Brady. He did a phenomenal job, and I can't wait to see what he does next week. The loser of the week? Come on. Let's, 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 let's not joke around here. Dwayne Haskins is the loser. He didn't do enough to prove himself as being worthy of a first-round pick. He needs to step up next week. If he doesn't, you're going to see him fall down the depth chart quickly. And my inspiration moment for the week, my favorite heartwarming moment for the week, goes to Damon Sheehy Giuseppe. He did a great job. He, I mean, think about the story of this kid. Shows up to the Browns facility. He's got nowhere else to go. He's tried everything he could. He, he, got, he failed Juco the first time, gone to Juco the second time at Phoenix College. Got out, couldn't, get an NFL, couldn't land a job with the NFL, couldn't land a job with the CFL, not even the Arena Football League. Then he finds a way to sneak into the, the Browns' workouts, gets a callback, goes in again for an official workout, and he shocks everybody and he gets a contract. And now he's runs back a kick on their special teams unit all the way back for a touchdown. And you see his whole team get behind him. I mean, if that ain't a heartwarming story, I don't know what is. The kid proved you can do anything. As long as you put your mind to it and you keep pushing, you're going to get there and you're going to get exactly what you want. That's going to conclude the first episode of the Pigskin Pulpit. I'm your host, the Sideline Statsman. Make sure to check us out on Twitter at tstatsman and on Instagram at the.sideline.statsman. Again, this is the Sideline Statsman. Have a great day, everyone. We'll see you next week.